Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots, being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. Yeah, I come from the school of Tupac. I'm around. You don't want to what? Yeah, that's me. with me. Tell I'm not your average Negro. Hold up. Taz, I want to ask you a question real quick. Let's just keep it real straight shot with no chaser. I'm going to get a little bit rough here. I'm here for it. Those who really believe in the American process, all of us. Straight shot, no chaser. With your girl, Tesla Figaro, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. What's happening, Straight Shooter family? This is Tesla Figaro, the host of Straight Shot, No Chaser. I am so excited to continue our series with the George Floyd Foundation where we are focusing on six episodes, may do more, but right now, currently six episodes that will be distributed to over 500,000 incarcerated individuals. The most powerful thing that I certainly have done in a very, very long time to have the ability to be able to touch those uh, that are incarcerated. I always live by Matthew 25, where one of the passages says, when I was in prison, you did not see me. So that is so important to me personally as an individual, as a senior advisor for the George Floyd Foundation. And because of what I do, a lot of my work that I do, as you know, is focusing on uh, police reform. But I also talk about prison reform as well. We want to make sure that people have an opportunity to not be locked up. But in the event that they are, we want to make sure that people are treated fairly and just. Not that people should not be punished for the crime. We want to make sure that people are not over sentenced and we want to make sure that individuals actually have a chance to be reformed and to be productive members in society. So that is what this series is all about. George Floyd Foundation uh, has graciously partnered with me on this to be able to contribute to their social justice advocacy program as we continue this series. Today, my guest is the author of Wife After Prison, called in the aftermath. Her name is Sheila Bruno and... Before I tell you a little bit about her background, and I'm going to let her talk because as you guys know who are listening, uh, we do very conversational pieces here. But how I met her uh, was I was scrolling through Instagram and saw the title Wife After Prison. And I became intrigued because obviously I like to follow prison reform and it's something that I like to do. And one of my favorite things to do um, is obviously training. And I was so impressed, uh, looking inspired, not impressed inspired to see the transparency of her story, the purpose in her mission, her tenacity to say, you know, I have been indirectly impacted by being, uh, having a loved one in prison. And now I want to take my experience and share it with the world and not even just share it with the world, but actually go into the prisons and train and teach and inspire to go back to 
the place and, and not literally the place, but the place that she would visit the prison system to say, I'm coming back to pour back into the system to, to give back. She could have easily just walked away and went on about her business, but I've been inspired uh, by her purpose. And, and, and so I shadowed her, uh, at, and participated in one of the trainings in the prison. And it was the most powerful thing ever because to be able to go in and talk to men who have done 20, 30, 40 years time, to give them encouragement, to let them know that you can get out, you can have an opportunity, uh, you can have a job, to watch them, literally watch them trans transform in front of me of teaching them how to market their skills of doing laundry in prison or being a janitor or being a cook, to watch them transfer and literally change, transform in front of me to get confidence was the most rewarding experience ever. So Sheila Bruno is known for giving voice to the psychological impact of incarceration, which is one of the things we're going to dig into heavy uh, throughout this series, also known as post-incarceration syndrome. Love that. Let me say it again. Post-incarceration syndrome. This is so important, not only for the uh, incarcerated individual, but also for those that support them, which I'm always talking about that. In 2014, after being apart for 38 years, Sheila became reacquainted with her high school sweetheart, Kevin Bruno, who was incarcerated for 28 of those 38 years. 53 years later, after their reunion, they were married. In 2016, Kevin became barely recognizable, both in character and behavior. With each passing day, his behavior worsened, leading Sheila to cry out to God, asking, what is happening to my husband? Her kind, loving, affectionate husband was now sliding in and out of depression, easily irritated by seemingly insignificant incidents. Sheila's cry for help was heard by God, which led her to Google the question, how can a boy become a man in prison? Up popped two articles by Craig Haney and Terry Gorski. The Psychological Impact of Incarceration and Post-Incarceration Syndrome and Relapse. That is what has inspired her. The, the bio goes on and on. I encourage you to go look at her bio, go to her website. Her name is Sheila Bruno. But without hesitation, I want to welcome her to the show. And we're going to let her tell the rest of the story. That was just the prelude. Hello, Sheila. Thank you for being here. Hello, hello, Miss Tesla, and thank you for the opportunity. I've been waiting all day, oh. all day to get in here just to have this conversation with you. Uh, it's such an important conversation, and I may even get a little um, emotional yeah. because it's my passion. And I've seen the devastation that incarceration leaves in its path. And like you said, Kevin and I reunited after 38 years apart. And for 28 of those years, he was incarcerated. Within 15, 53 days, we were married. And this is what I like to say to the listeners, because sometimes people can uh, be a little judgmental. They like, 53 days? She married him after 53 days? But if you focus on the fact that I married him after 53 days, you will miss the message mm -hmm. and you will miss the lesson. So as I said, Kevin and I got married. Within the first two years, amazing. Breakfast in bed, baby, what you want me to do? You ain't got to do nothing, whatever. I used to stand in this window and wait on him to come home. But then he began to change. He would come home and he would sit outside and he would never come in for hours at a time. Or if he came in, he would go into his office and he would just sit for hours. He would get here at seven. He may sit in there to one o'clock in the morning. And I would pass by the door and he would be just sitting there with his head in his hand. And I would say, you, you okay? And his response was, I'm good. I'm good. And so I'm good turned into irrational behavior, outrage, 
burst of anger, a whole lot of negativity that I wasn't used to. This was a peaceful environment and his behavior began to pollute it. And so again, that's when I said, I cried out to God and said, God, what's happening to my husband? What's happened to my husband? Kevin and I separated three times. The last time I was ready to file for divorce. But this particular night, I cried out to God, what is happening to my amazing husband? And that's when I heard the voice of God say, Google, can a boy become a man in prison? And when I did, again, those articles popped up uh, by Terry uh, Craig Haney and Terry Gorski. And it talked about post-incarceration syndrome, which is a set of mental disorders mm -hmm. that occur in those who are currently incarcerated, released, most severe in those who spend significant time in solitary confinement. And what I read is what I was living. Mm -hmm. And again, Kevin and I were separated. I sent the link over to him. I said, can you read this? Will you read this? And then a couple of days later, and it took him a couple of days to because he said as he read that, he really was so, it was so many triggers that he could respond at the time. Mm -hmm. But he said, this is what I'm going through. And some of the symptoms within the post-incarceration syndrome is institutionalization, personality trait, antisocial uh, deprivation syndrome, post-traumatic uh, post stress disorder, and social sensory deprivation uh, syndrome. And within each of those symptoms have their own set of behaviors, mm -hmm. right? And so Kevin, again, Kevin was exhibiting all of those behaviors. I love this conversation. And I love your transparency. And one thing about us that we relate on is my close, he's my closest friend to me now. And he's a part of this series. And we're very transparent with our relationship. Very similar. I knew him when I was 16 years old. It wasn't, and I'm glad you, I'm glad you break, you explain that in your bio because a lot of people think that when women become acquainted with men in prison, that they were sitting back on the internet and, you know, some women do, and I'm not judging that, um, but we're sitting back on the internet and looking for a pen pal. But my experience and your experience sounds similar to this was somebody I knew prior to being incarcerated. And that 15 year, at least with us, that at that time, 12 year, 10 year difference, he still seemed to talk like the same man. From what I remember, familiar, communicating with someone when all you have is visits and, and email, you certainly get a tremendous amount of communication, certainly more communication than I've ever had with any man, even on the outside, including when I was married to my husband, because all you have is talk. So mm -hmm. you talk and you talk and you talk and you talk. And he's my best friend now. We're not together, but he's my my best friend because I did. I've never been closer to anybody from a communication standpoint of really knowing me and him inside and out. And so what it does, and I'm speaking from my experience, is it allows you to have a very familiar place, uh, a familiarity with someone so that when they come home and I'm just asking, you know, if this is asking you to if you share the same thing when they come home. And they start to change, not only was it different from what you knew in prison. But also what you knew from that man way back, at least that that's my experience. And then you start to have, and this is why in this series, I want to talk about the, the people who are indirectly affected, people like us that support people. Because for mm -hmm. me, I started to have a guilt, um, a, uh, a feeling of responsibility of, I don't want to leave this person hanging because they don't have direction. They don't know where to go. They don't know where to turn. 
when you were doing your Googling and you were looking up his issues, did you ever Google to see why am I still with this man? Did you ever deal with like, did you ever deal with this ain't making no sense. This is not healthy for me. I need to let this man grow up on his own. I can't raise no grown man because for me, I, I did. So I'm asking, did you did you ever yeah. in, in that search? Did you ever ask yourself? I didn't ask myself. Well, you know what, Tess? I did. I did. I said, because prior to Kevin, I had been overseas. I was doing good, nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing lacking in my life. Right. And so when I got with him again, two years, amazing. Third year, I'm like, oh, what the hell have I done here? Mm -hmm. Right. And like I said, you know, it got so bad that I was like, I'm, I know I said for better, for worse, but I got to get out of this. Mm -hmm. And that's when I said, I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to file for divorce. And that Monday I was headed downtown Harris County. And uh, that Sunday. I laid in bed. And I went to think about. There's a chapter in my book called Monsters Under My Bed. And the content came from Kevin. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about all of his traumatic experiences. What happened to him when he was six years old, being molested and never told nobody but me. He started talking about the traumatic experiences that he had pre-incarceration, incarceration, and post-incarceration, right? And so the all, all of the three compound never dealt with. So I began to think about that. And I was like, I can't leave him. I can't leave him hanging like this. You know, he's messed up and he needs somebody. So I decided to stay, right? And he went to counseling. And because of the traumatic experience that he had, it had attached itself to me, known as vicarious trauma, I had to go to counseling. Mm -hmm. So he went to counseling and he did the work. Mm -hmm. That's the key. He did the work because I, I want people to understand that if they're not doing the work and people are just staying out of obligation, that turns into a prison. That turns into, yeah. a, well, God told me I got to stay and I'm just, yeah. Lord, you know, that that's slavery when we were told, oh, yeah. well, let's just stay. Let's stay no matter what. I'm ride or die yeah. chick, particularly black women. We tend yeah. to really stay in things long and too way yeah. too long because of this yeah. obligation. And I'm speaking for myself. Yeah. Also, but but it was doing the work that was the key. So was it the work that that encouraged you to be able to, you know, continue to stay in the relationship? Yeah. Him working on him, you're working on yourself. Right. Right. Okay. So he he did the work, and when I started going to therapy, she showed me me. Mm -hmm. She showed me some of the things that I was doing that was, you know, may have been uh, causing him to react and behave in a certain way. So I started working on me. And this is the thing as family members, we have to realize a lot of times when our loved ones come from prison, we look at them as though they have all of the issues. Mm -hmm. Right. So we have to be willing to look at ourselves. Kevin did the work. She was giving him tools to shoot, use practical tools. When you get ready to behave like this, think, stop and think, is this the 20 year old? response or is this the 54 year old response mm -hmm. just that 20 seconds of stopping and thinking made him make better decisions mm -hmm. but tez he stopped doing the work 
Mm. Last year, uh, 2020, uh, I started seeing those things coming back again. And I was like, oh, God, no, please tell me not again. But it was again because he stopped doing the work and he stopped going to therapy because he thought he had it. Mm -hmm. Although he admitted when I've done this amount of time, therapy has to be a lifestyle for me. Yeah, yeah. But again, he stopped doing the work. And when he stopped doing the work, I had an obligation to myself. Mm -hmm. I can't do Sheila like this no more. Mm -hmm. We went through this one time and I was ingesting sleeping pills, sleeping pills and mascara. That was the only thing I would put in my mouth. Mm. And I decided I can't do this again. I won't do this again. So April last year, I filed for divorce. Mm -hmm. And after May, May, our divorce was fine, right? And so one of the reasons, and this is what I want your listeners to understand, Mm -hmm. is they have to understand that prisons are psychologically powerful places capable of transforming the thoughts and the behavior. Don't come out that back gate talking about I'm good. Mm -hmm. Don't come out that back, back gate. You know, you're on this 30, 60, 90, 120-day freedom high. Because guess what? When the responsibilities, day-to-day responsibilities get to win on you, you will crumble, mm-hmm. right? So make sure, just be open to the conversation. Mm-hmm. And one thing that Craig Haney has said, he said, we have failed those on the inside. We have failed because the post-release that they do, they do all of the research on the psychological impact of incarceration while an individual is inside on trial, mm. right? But when they come home, nobody's following them. They said, we have failed. And another area they said that they failed in, they said those on the inside need to know the impact of incarceration. Mm-hmm. Because like Kevin was, I'm good. I'm good. Some of the same guys that you sat in the classroom with, Mm-hmm. Kevin would say to these guys, man, when you get out, go get you some help. Mm-hmm. And they was like, oh, that's just Miss Bruno. Mr. Bruno, that's your issue. That ain't our issue. And some of those same guys are either back inside mm-hmm. for bad choices or dead or has gotten a divorce mm-hmm. because they wasn't willing to deal with the psychological impact of incarceration. One last thing I want to say on this test, Marlon. Marlon did 39 years, went to prison at 15, got out at 54. I said, Marlon, tell me about your mental health assessment. Ms. Bruno, what mental health assessment? I said, Marlon, you went to prison at 15. I said, when you went in, you first went in, did you not have a mental health diagnosis? He said, no, ma'am. I said, Marlon, you transferred from unit to unit to unit. I said, did you not have a mental health diagnosis? He said, no, ma'am. I said, Marlon, you just did pre-release at Caravans. Did you not have an assessment coming out? He said, Ms. Bruno. He said, I've never had a mental health diagnosis. He said, when I hear the word mental health, I think it means that I'm crazy. Mm -hmm. Right? And I said, okay. Well, it doesn't. It just means how you think, how you feel, and how you react with others. So I found out, Tesla. When I start debunking what mental health is and what is not, 
they are open to talk. Mm-hmm. It's just lack of knowledge, mental health, you know, just the word of mental health. So we have to educate them on what mental health is and what it is not. And I guarantee you, they're open to the conversation. My LinkedIn page, it blows up. Someone's always in my inbox saying, ma'am, I did 22 years. Keep talking what you're talking about. They need to hear this. We need to talk about this. They're suffering in silence. Mm -hmm. They're suffering in silence and they just want somebody to talk about it and give them an outlet to talk about it. But if we don't talk about it, they won't talk about it. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots, being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Walbroke, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Has, has your divorce ins- empowered you to do more? Or was there a time, because I know with me, I, I go through, we all get frustrated. God's called me to do my work. So I'll, I'll keep going around the burning bush asking all the time. Okay, God, are you serious? Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. Yeah. But uh, so I, 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 I understand that I'm called for this. Yes. But there are times of frustration where I say, oh, it'd be so much easier to just do something else. Has your personal experience and empowered you, inspired you to do more? Because you're obviously till, still touched by it. It's obviously still very fresh. And and I'm sure you went through bouts of, did I do enough? Or I did enough? Or back and forth. How do I help somebody else? At least for me, when I'm in pain, I, I, I devote my time to helping others until I heal. So how has that experience shaped, if any, how you continue to work with with men uh has it given you more tools it has given me more tools and i tell you this kevin said to me he says sheila he said 90 percent of what happened in our marriage was him and i'm thinking 90 okay i'm 95 <laughs> okay I'm, I'm gonna take this 90 right and i tell you Taz, Taz, sometimes you as you know you do the work it, it, it some days it can just weigh on you when you like, God, I'm just tired. Just let everybody be for themselves. Right. But I can't. Right. And I have been transparent from the very beginning 
since 2014 when Kevin and I got married. If I was bold enough to get on Facebook, social media and say, hey, I'm reunited with my sweetheart. I had to be and have that hope, that same boldness and transparency to say, hey, y'all, look, I didn't call it quit. We getting a divorce, right? Mm -hmm. Then transparent throughout the process. And when I came forth and said, that I have gotten a divorce and not, I'm not telling anybody, you know, divorce your man or whatever, but if it's any kind of abuse, whether physical or psychological, you got a choice to make. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I came out, I came out the same way I did when I announced the engagement, I came out on social media. I'm now getting a divorce and I tell you my inbox blew up. Mm -hmm. Me too. Mm -hmm. I, I filed for divorce last week. I can't handle it. And this is what I want these guys to understand or whomever to understand. You know, you got these riders, they riding with you. But when you come out here and you're not willing to handle your business and take care of your mental state, mental state, nobody has to stay and deal with that. Mm -hmm. So if, 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 if you for her, then you're going to do what you need to do. And it's going to be uncomfortable mm -hmm. and it ain't going to be easy. And one thing I found out also, Tess, is that a lot of times, a lot of a, a lot of people, and I'm speaking to my brothers and sisters who are incarcerated, they have this, they're afraid to go see a mental health specialist because there's what's called exposure, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If I bring all of this stuff up and I hand it over to you, are you going to help me process this? Are you able to help me to process all of the dramatic experiences that I've seen pre-incarceration, incarceration, post-incarceration? If you can't tell me that you're going to help me, I'm zipping my lips and I ain't saying nothing and I'm going to suffer in silence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so another thing that we have to, to, to understand that the mental health professionals, Kevin went through two. The first one couldn't touch it. He went to see her three times and she couldn't do nothing for him. But when he found one that was heavy trauma, mm -hmm. heavy trauma, seasoned, seasoned trauma therapist, every time he hit that door, he had been crying. Mm -hmm. She cracked him open. Right. So when people say, how do I find a, a mental health professional? You interview them. You interview them. Mm -hmm. You ask them the tough question. You ask to see their credentials. You ask, have they, have they ever dealt with anybody that had been in incarceration? Don't let nobody just take your money or your insurance card. Mm -hmm. You got to make sure that they can help you. Right. And so, but you have to be willing to give them a chance. Don't go in there the first time and say she can't help me. Right. But you have to be a willing to give them a chance. But if they don't move you in some kind of way, if they're not providing you with the tools, they can't help you. Mm -hmm. They can't help you. So to, to those listening, you talked about it several times, but can you go a little bit deeper on some of the the symptoms with post-incarceration syndrome so that they can maybe recognize, you know, maybe a few of the things? I know it's a very broad, you know, conversation, but if you can just explain, you know, what that what that means and how okay. they can, you know, recognize some of those signs. OK, so so I'm going to I'm, I'm going to talk about this test, social sensory deprivation syndrome. Mm -hmm. 
You've been in solitary confinement for years. Some people even decades. And so you don't want to be around people. You don't know how to be around people. You don't know what touch looks like. You've never been touched. The only time you've been touched is when you sit, stick your arms through that hole so that that guard can put them handcuffs on you. So you don't know what it's like to sleep in the bed with somebody. Mm. So you come home and you're home for three years and you're still sleeping on the couch and your wife is in the bed because you can't you can't stand touch. Mm. Right. Oh, that's so true. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hold on. Pause right there before you go to the I just want to pause. Right. So most people listening, you probably have heard of, you know, you take the test for your love language. And one of mine is physical touch. And you are absolutely right with someone that has done, especially a a long stretch. There is literally a real, not even, not even just intimacy, but a a real block with just touching. You know, you'll just touch a woman's leg or hold her hand or in the bed where you have this invisible line between you two because of that uh, inability to know what touch me. So you can be sleeping around a lot of people in the room when they were locked up, but not mm-hmm. that touch. So touch. you just, I, I didn't, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I knew that that was a result of incarceration, but I didn't know there was an actual name, you know, name yes, for ma'am. it. Okay. Yes, ma'am. And so I want to give you another social sensory deprivation. There was a lady, uh, Melinda Corona, a member of my private a wife after prison support group. October the 2019, she did a post. She said, and he had been home. He got home in July. She said, he just sits in the car all night long. He doesn't want to come in the house. And some of the women in the group was encouraging her. Well, just go out there and sit with him. Go sit with him. And as I continued to study, I said, okay. He'd been in solitary confinement. And, uh, That was in July. That was in October. She did that post. December the 23rd, she came up missing. Mm. December the 25th, she was found in the trunk of her car with three bullet holes. He had murdered her. Right. And so I felt like that social sensory deprivation. He wasn't used to being around people and she may have been nagging. You know why you don't want to be around me? Another gentleman reached out, social sensory deprivation. He said, ma'am, he said, I don't feel nothing. He said, I have no feelings whatsoever. I have no emotions. My mom died when I was in prison. My dad died when I was in prison. I couldn't grieve. He said, and I'm home now. And my girl thinks I don't want to be with her, but I don't feel nothing. And I said, were you ever in solitary confinement? He said, yes, ma'am. For nine years. No emotions, Mm -hmm. no feelings for nobody. So, yeah, it's real. And I just want people to get it. Just get it, man. Do you think that some people have been broken to a point where they cannot be fixed? And when I say cannot be fixed, I don't mean disposable to uh, not offer society anything, but operating within the capacity of maybe this person 
Maybe it's not best for them to have a relationship, an intimate relationship. Maybe they need to only work in certain environments. Do you believe that there can come, come a point where some people's mental illness has been so broken that it's hard for them to come back? What I say, and I have a topic that I often do, I start all my posts out with reentry and relationships, right? And when these guys get out and they tell me, well, I got me a lady, I just drop my head. Man, you ain't ready for no lady. You ready for no relationship. Marlon, again, did 39 years in prison. And he's back in jail right now, reentering in relationship. Due to no fault of his own, only wanting somebody to love him. Because he's never had that type of love being locked up at 15. He just chose the wrong lady to love. Right? I do, I do believe that certain individuals do not need to enter into a relationship until they get themselves together, right? Because another thing, there's these trauma bond relationships. Mm -hmm. She got some trauma going on. You got some trauma going on. And trauma and trauma is drama, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's how a lot of guys end up back in prison because they have these trauma bond relationships and, uh, they're not healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I mean, I'm totally, like I say, again, when they tell me they, they in a relationship, man, you ain't ready for no relationship. You first got to love yourself before you know how to love anybody. And else. what about the women, though, that are looking to fix something? What about the women who are lonely or depressed? And because we all know that the, the best, a lot of these guys locked up, they got the best talk game now. I mean, oh, oh, yeah. oh, they talk. Oh, honey, the talk is something <laughs> to be in mind. I mean, Look, you want to. I'm trying to change. <laughs> so, and one of the yeah, and one of the things that I hear the most is he's not the same guy that I went to visit. Mm-hmm. He's not the same anymore. And I tell them, you know, I said, these guys tell y'all everything. They're going to do this. They're going to do this. You know, I'm going to be a, a, a master of this. I said, but they don't know what they don't know until they come out that back gate. Mm-hmm. Right. And another thing that I tell the women, have I asked, have you considered the trauma? Mm-hmm. Have you considered the trauma? I did. I was like, okay, well, uh, that was you. You were six. Oh, you you good now? Oh, that happened to you when you was twelve. Oh, you good? Mm-hmm. That was just ignorance, ignorance. But you gotta take in consideration the trauma. And I and I asked these ladies, you know, tell me about his childhood. If you can't tell me nothing about his childhood. You in for some trouble or you in for a rude awakening like I was. Mm-hmm. Do you know what type of traumatic background he had? Mm-hmm. Was he molested? Do he have abandonment issues? Right? Did his parents not love him? Mm-hmm. Do you know any of that? Mm-hmm. Have you considered the trauma? Don't take trauma off the table. Mm-hmm. You got to talk about the trauma. Right? Do you know the traumatic, any of the traumatic experiences that he had while he's incarcerated? Mm-hmm. Right? Do you know 
If he's been a part of a stabbing, have he been stabbed? Have he raped anybody? Have he been raped? Do you know about that trauma? But you in love. Okay. Better know what you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Better know what you're dealing with. And I don't say that. I don't say that to cast, you know, negativity on anybody, but it's the truth. You got to know what you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And I'm not calling that person a it. I'm talking about the mental health aspect. Know what you're dealing with. Is he capable of loving you? Is she capable of loving you? Is he capable of handling responsibilities, day-to-day responsibilities, like paying the bills? Is he capable of doing that? I remember one time having a conversation with Kevin, and, and I handicapped him. And we as females, we can do that sometimes. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. When Kevin got with me, Kevin had $700 worth of bills per month. He moved up in this camp with me, and we hitting 3000 For two and a half years, I didn't bother him about, you got to pay this and that. He would contribute, right? But I had it. So I didn't bother him about, you got to do this. But in going into that third year, when sister got tired of carrying the load, I was like, I need you to be more responsible. Mm-hmm. I need you to be the head of household. And I'll never forget that day and the look he had in his eyes. He turned and he said, Sheila, he said, what is responsibilities? He says, prison strips you of your responsibilities. Mm. You're told when to get up, when to go to bed, you know, when to go to Rick, when to take a shower. Mm -hmm. And I handicapped him. And he told me, he said, you had me on some crutches for almost three years. And then you snatched those crutches from under me. And I had to eat that because I did that. Mm-hmm. I did that. Mm-hmm. Right. Even to the point of decision making. When you've been told what to do for decades, you ain't got too much to think. You ain't got to think about making no decisions. Somebody have already made those decisions for you. And then when you come home and you got to make some decisions, it can be very, very challenging. Mm-hmm. And then again, you don't want anybody to know. That you can't even just go to the store and pick out a can of coffee because there's so many different brands. Yeah, yeah. So many different brands that you become overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah right? That's a, that's a real thing. And for those who are listening, that's a real thing. Um, I remember uh, when Spud came home, and for those listening, he'll be a part of this series. He would call me. I'm so glad you said that while he was in the store, and I remember one time he whispered and said. Do do they still cut meat? You know, the, he wasn't he didn't know if they still cut meat behind the the butcher. And he was so embarrassed. He didn't want to ask, but he would ask. Do they still do this or do that? Overstimulated just from those small tasks. So for yeah. those who are listening, understanding. I remember when I would go see him and he would say, oh, it ain't going to be nothing. When I get home, all I need to do is learn how to do one of these phones y'all got and go in the bathroom for 15 minutes, learn how to do it. And I come out and it's all good. And I would sit there and say, it's so much more to that. It's so yeah. much more to that. But while he was serving time, um, because I was his friend at the time, I didn't want to, I, I know he needed to be inspired while he was serving right. time. So I didn't come and right. say, you're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to do that. Life is going right. to be like this. Life is going to be like that. Because people need to be able to do their time. So for those right. who are listening, during your time is important. But what you're saying, Sheila, is still prepare while you're there to do that mental work. So when you come home, 
you can adjust because I remember very clearly with Spud. He's like, oh, I want to come to. I said, oh, no, baby, you got to live. You went right to your ex's house. And then after that, I said, you need to go live by yourself before you come my way. You need to live by yourself for at least a year. And he did. You need to learn how to pay bills by yourself. I said, this is what you need to know, period. You don't want to be in a position where a woman, brothers who are listening, that a woman that can put you out where she has control, you know, over if you got a place to stay. You need that independence so you can say, hey, I can take care of myself. I can do right. things for myself. How do you learn how to? I remember Sean, he, he went to jail for selling drugs. So he always had a bunch of money. So it was very different to him to learn how to pay Rob Peter to pay Paul. Stuff that regular folks have been doing their whole life. Okay, just because yeah. the bill is due on the 10th, you really got to the 20th to pay it. Make sure you got gas. Make sure you spread your yeah. money. He's like, oh, yeah. the bill is due on the 10th, so I'm going to pay all the bills on the 10th. But now you don't have anything, you know, down the road. So learning how to adjust his money, learning how to get a second job. I mean, we say, I'm not no second job type person. Well, you're going to be in this economy because you're not selling dope no more. You know, so it's those things that he found helpful. But I had to challenge him to do that when you talk about the crutches. Yeah. And I still did my yeah. share of providing crutches, no doubt about it. But right. those things of really getting that independence to help his confidence which mm-hmm. when men have a lack of confidence, not feeling like the provider, not feeling like the man of the house, not feeling like in charge, that too plays a part in how he treats you and right. that aggression right. and that anger because he's mad at himself. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements along with funding programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What is another uh, symptom that they can recognize uh, from the post-incarceration? Uh, syndrome. A couple of more. I know our time is winding up, but I, I want to give people a couple of things that they can kind of point to, uh, to to recognize. Being institutionalized, that institutionalization uh, trait. You know, one guy reached out to me on LinkedIn and he said, ma'am, he said, I ordered your book and I read it. He said, but I did 21 and a half years. And he and his wife lived in a small apartment and he was so institutionalized. He created 
his cell in the living room. Oh, wow. Recreated everything. And he said, I'm messed up. He said, and my wife has divorced me. Because when she would ask him about tidying up and this shouldn't be in the living room, this shouldn't be right here. You know, he said, I would go into a rage and she divorced me. He said, and I'm messed up. And I said, okay, what's the next step? What's the next step? I said, this next step is for you to seek mental health treatment. And that brother told me I can't. And I said, why is that? And he said, because I work in the mayor's office. I said, okay, so lights, cameras, action. So you perform it. Right. You 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 got this job and you don't want to take care of your mental state, mental state and your wife and divorce you. OK, you lights, camera and action. So when they are used to doing things for decades, mm-hmm. men, Kevin had an issue. He would open the cabinet, not close back, open the drawer, not close back. I just go this in the first stage. I just go by. Shit. Then one day I was like, you know, what? you have a habit. And I told him what it was. I said, you open the pantry. And I said, I just shed it. You know, this was in the honeymoon stages. And he said, don't do it for me. He said, don't do it for me. He said, tell me to do it. And so when I started, when things got rough and I started telling him about it, he was at that irate stage. Somebody's been telling me what to do for 28 years. And I said, what you told me to tell you? Mm And one lady said, I'm so frustrated. She said, every time he leaves out of the room, he leaves a light on. I said, ma'am, how long was he gone? She said, 25 years. Mm-hmm. I said, in 25 years, he ain't had a light switch to cut off. Mm-hmm. That's deep. People don't realize yeah. that. They don't realize the smallest, the yeah. smallest things, even, you know, when they what they call program. You know, I need a program every day. They need to be able to know I'm getting up at this time. I'm doing this at time. You know, my, my toothbrushes over here. I like to keep my stuff neat. Even clutter can bother yeah. them because they're yeah. used to having to share a certain space and, and have things done by, you know, a certain amount of time. It's deep. You have a, a, a I know we have to wrap up and I want to bring you back. Probably be the only guest I'm going to bring back more than once because you, you have, it's so many the mental part is so like important. It really is. Yeah. And, and in mediation, we call it peel the onion. And you have so many things that you offer from being indirectly impacted in addition to working with people in prison. It, it's so deep. You're going to share with us one of the sessions that you do is called Trauma and Triggers. We're doing Trauma and Triggers. Trauma Each triggers. month is something totally different. Uh, last month, we talked about trauma, understanding what trauma is. And then this week, we're going to do trauma and triggers. And next next month, we're going to do lights, camera, action. So that they come out and they think they have to be in front of the camera and social media and they got to do, you know, whatever. Yeah. But Tez, if I may, if you just give me a few sessions. This is what a returning citizen said to me. He said, prison completed the destruction of my personality and has conditioned me that I am near incapable of living in the free world. Prison has become the only place in which I can exist comfortably. The strain of living outside of prison wall is painful and intense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And then check this out. One more. Now, when this lady said this to me, it just made my flesh crawl. She said he's a barbaric and vile predator that the system unleashed from the chains that had him bound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember Spud used to say, and I'm going to talk to him about this during our interview because he's very transparent. He would always say when he was doing time, I don't know how these guys come back. I don't understand how they come back. Man, if I was out there, ain't no way I'd be coming back. They all talking about the pressure. I don't understand what they talking about. One year in, two years in, he said, I see what they talking about. I see the pressure. I see the anxiety, the not knowing what's next, the not... uh, Simple things to me, me being self-employed, I may not have a contract for two, three months. I may have to go. Just the simple things that we take for granted to be able to adjust to go get another job or another hustle or right. do whatever. It, it right. breaks them down, the unknown. And and the, the hardest unknown. thing that he had a time adjusting, I'm going to make sure to ask him this. He would always say, it's almost like every time I take a step forward, I go two steps back. And I had to tell him, that's what we do in life. <laughs> life is like that. Like, I expect... You know, when I when something good happens for a certain amount of time, I usually say, okay, I'm enjoying this feel. It's probably going to be good three, four months. Not wishing anything about myself, but I understand cycles. Yeah. I understand cycles. Yeah. I understand right. that I have a good season. I have a bad season. I have a good season. Yeah. For him, in, in my personal experience watching him, that was hard for him to adjust to that, that cycle because the antisocial personality that is the criminal, that goes against mm-hmm. the norm, he didn't have mm-hmm. to adjust to the cycles of that. If stuff ain't yeah. working, hey, I'll go hit a lick. I'll go get more money. I'll adjust. I'll beat somebody up or whatever. I don't like what you say. No problem. I'll body slam you on the ground. You know, so the, he didn't have to adjust, you know, to the cycles okay. of of life, the waves that we've become very comfortable in swimming in. It, and He just changed the game. Yeah. And now that he's paralyzed, because he didn't expect to come home, obviously, and be paralyzed, the Lord has set him down literally, to have to deal with himself in a way. He was always go, 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 move, 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 go here, go here. Never wanting to be alone, never wanting to sit down because that's ins- being institutionalized as well. Used to always mm-hmm. having somebody around. Can't be in a quiet room. Got to have some kind mm-hmm. of noise going on, the TV noise. on, something, always. Um, And now that he's been forced to take things slow, one of the hardest things for him was certainly being in the chair, but one of the things that he says that really bothers him is how he has to take his time to plan putting on his socks yeah. or planning, putting on, you know, he can't just throw his clothes on and, and, and go out the door. And it's those small things, Sheila, for him that has allowed him. I thought it was going to be much worse after he got paralyzed with anger and frustration. But it actually, not that I'm wishing that on him, but it, yeah. it actually healed him a lot of ways because he was now forced to slow down and to have conversations yeah. and really think, how did I get to this chair? Well, how yeah. did it all start? Wow. You know, way, way back. Even though it was an accident, the people weren't looking for him when he got shot. He still have to go back and see. How right. did I even get involved in this to be around somebody that yeah. they were looking for? Yeah. How does all these living. dots connect? Right. And how is it right. affecting me at 50 years old? Right. We're talking about somebody 50 years old. And when you've been right. connected in that environment where aggression has been your only, your number one defense... Yes. And now you're in a chair yeah. where your your yeah. your natural response is not just uh, intimidation or physical. It's been a real right. transformation in addition to doing all of that time. So I, right. I'm proud of him as my friend, not my lover, not yeah. my man, 
He's my friend. And I, and I tell yeah. people this, for those who are listening, and I said it on the other episode that they will listen to as well. For those listening, and I want to bring you back, Sheila, whoever it is that's helping you, be open to that help. But at the same time, if they tell you our season has passed, that person cannot be guilted. That Because when it came down to me, I said, listen, I'm going to help you, but we have to have boundaries. Because now your peace, now uh, our last guest, Lewis Reed, said, don't allow, I love the quote, and Marcy quoted it, saying, allowing somebody else's problem to enter your peace. Mm-hmm. He was saying that as the former incarcerated person. And I said, I also want to say as the person that support the incarcerated person to also not allow your problem to disturb my peace. And so when people, if my peace is disturbed and your peace is disturbed, we can't help each other. So understand that when somebody changes the season to say, maybe we can't be married. Maybe we can't be a couple. Maybe we can't be that. But I can be your friend. I can pray for you. I can give you advice. But you have to respect these boundaries or lose the friendship totally because I don't have nothing else to give you. I don't have nothing else to give you. And so we have to, uh, uh, as you're having these, as we're having these conversations, and I, I hope as you're having a conversation, because you talk to, you talk to way more incarcerated people than I do, that they understand that when I leave you in that space, I'm not leaving you. I'm, I'm saving yeah. myself, but I still yeah. can be a help. But if I decide I don't want to be, the season has passed and you have to do the work yourself because that's what a lot of it, I'm looking for a mama. I'm looking right. for a new CEO. I'm looking for somebody to tell me what to do and how to get up. To, and hey, babe, I'm not raising nobody else. Everybody don't want to raise, you know, go through, go through that with adults. So yeah. under, I guess for my own indirect advice to to understand uh, that the, the seasons do change, but it doesn't mean we don't believe. And that's why I'm right. so proud of you, because even through your pain, as, oh, as tears come to your eyes, you're not allowing that past pain to harden your heart to still help somebody else. Mm-mm. No. And you know what? And Kevin and I, it's not ugly. Mm-hmm. It wasn't ugly. Mm-hmm. You know, to say the season in, right? And one thing that I said to him, and because prior to that, Lord had said boundaries to me. And I was like, boundaries? Okay. So I started teaching boundaries in the group, in the private group. Boundaries, bro. I didn't know it was for me. Mm-hmm. Right? And so when Kevin did what he did, June the 21st, 2020, 2021, whenever it was, I had to put those people in his life. And I told him, it's not up to me to remember that you're on parole. It's up to you mm-hmm. to remember that you're on parole. Because I can't let you treat me any kind of way and say, well, I can't do that because he's on parole. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, you must remember that. And so I say to these guys, that tell me, say, I'm aggressive. I know I'm aggressive. My girl say I'm aggressive. Okay, partner. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's up to you to remember that you on paper. Mm-hmm. She ain't on paper. Mm-hmm. Right? So she can't let you treat her any kind of way. Right? And that's my thing. You know? You you can't treat me. I have boundaries. And Kevin crossed the boundary. Mm-hmm. He crossed the boundary. And if I don't impose some consequences for you crossing that boundary, Guess what? You're going to try to live over here. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You can't live in my face. Literally, you can't live in my face. Mm-hmm. Well, good for you. You have a lot of insight. Uh, for those who are listening, I hope you were able to gain some knowledge. I know it touched on some truth for sure. You arguing with somebody on core links or 
your mama, a girlfriend, or friend, or whatever. I hope uh, that Miss Sheila was able to give you a perspective because this phone, this particular conversation, and I want to bring you back to go even deeper. But the intent of this, and I didn't know we were going to spend so much time on the relationship side, which I'm glad we did. But the intent of this is to make sure that they see from the other perspective. It's kind of like if you go see somebody in prison, there's a wall, you know, a glass between both of us. You're on one side and I'm on the other. And a part of healing, and I talk about this in politics all the time, I'm always telling people, you you got to understand first the lens that they see it from. You don't have to see. Your glasses may are not for me, but I know you got on glasses. Mm-hmm. I recognize that you see something different. And at least for me in politics, when I'm trying to share stories of others and advocate for others, it's not that I live that experience. It's because I'm trying to relate to you how they see it. You don't have to like yeah. it, but you got to understand how they see it. And so that's why this series is a, a good balance of those who have been indirectly affected and directly. Because, Sheila, I just don't believe that a, enough conversation. It's kind of like you have your alcohol anonymous groups, but very few groups, the people that support the alcoholic. Like, what right. do they do? Because if the support system is broke down, then the person that's suffering the most, they have nothing. If if the yeah. support system is not there to advocate, to to provide yeah. the resources, to do the pre- the stronger person. And a lot of right. times the stronger person is beat down. And now you've taken all my strength. And that that was the conversation I had. If, if you beat me down, you don't yeah. have nothing and I don't have nothing. So somebody yeah. got to be yeah. strong. So let's get some boundaries. Right. So right. I, and when you I'm sorry, kids, no, have, have it back. But yeah, I'm saying that when you come home with that negative energy, you, you your negative negative energy has the is a high probability that the person that's been su- supporting you, you're going to tear that down, yeah. right? I had someone to reach out, Tiz, to me. Big brand. Big brand. Christian television station. And they wanted to talk. And when I said, okay, well, we can talk about the family. They didn't want to talk about the family. Well, you can't. We can't talk because you can't take the families off the table. Mm-hmm. You got to talk. Family reunification and has to go with the reentry piece. And if you can't talk about the families, you can't talk of to me because I am the family. Mm-hmm. I'm one of them, mm-hmm. right? So again, that negative energy that you guys come out with, it attaches itself to your family members, causing them vicarious trauma. And it can also take them, you know, deeper into their traumatic experiences right. had never been there was. So you have to be mindful. That's right. Because that. we have and our experience. Yeah, we have yeah. our experiences yeah. too. It's not just you. Just because yeah. I didn't do time yeah. don't mean I don't have trauma. Oh, let me say that again. Just because I didn't do time don't mean I don't have trauma. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. And, and you keep I'm on playing. About. I might get some time. Let's just keep that real. I don't want to go to the pen. So sometimes we just need to split this on up, you know, to keep everybody free for the sake of everybody. Yeah, you, but, uh, right. but but that's real. This was a great conversation. I want you to come back uh, and share the, uh, or not literally come back, but give us the episode to the triggers and trauma. Yeah. I think that goes perfect in this series. Yeah. They need to hear yeah. from you as often as you want to share, as long as you want to share, uh, please do, because you have so much insight. Okay. And And when we talk again, I want to talk about what I tried to, what I thought I was going to be talking about today, uh, which is the job training that you do and a lot of do's and don'ts that you've seen and, and how that has shaped out, you know, for, cause you, you actually follow the people once they go home. So I'm Mm -hmm. curious to know, you know, the things that you've taught them. And if you have lessons on what 
can and cannot, you know, sharing, you know, some some good and some and some honest yeah. truth on, on what to prevent. So I would love right. to have you come back on that because job training is is so important. And as you know, when we okay. did the training, people can have human resources background all day long, but working with incarcerated individuals is a totally different right. different ball game. And the only reason why I, I was able to adjust so well is because I've worked with incarcerated people. I have right. the human resources background, but those are two totally yeah. different things. So I would love right. to even come back and talk about that. So guys uh, who are listening, expect to hear more from uh, Triggers and Trauma. You, uh, Sheila, you said it's it's a where y'all talk about how how certain words can trigger people off. Words matter. Yeah, words like matter. boy yeah. or like, this is a perfect one. Yeah, if I say in, in passing, you may say, "Oh boy, please," you know, where you just might say that in passing. Oh boy, please, passionately. That can send mm-hmm. somebody through the roof. Boy, who you calling? Yeah. Boy, I'm a man. Da, da, da. That's it. Am I telling yeah. the truth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what we're doing. We're educating the family members on, you know what to say and what not to say. Because even with Kevin, you know, if I said, hey, can you stop by Walmart and bring some paper towel? He might have a problem with it. He don't want to stop. But when I saw a scene, honey, do you mind? Mm-hmm. Because he had options then. Yeah. You know, I gave him an option. Yeah. Whether I said, honey, do you mind? Oh, okay, yeah. I, I, what you want, a six-pack or a 12-pack? What you want? Right, Sam? So it's certain words, it's certain way we got to say certain things. My producers are listening, but Marcy, ain't this the truth? Didn't I talk about this? I talked about this in our other episode. I said I had to learn how to adjust because I have a strong tone, a strong personality. And I had to learn how to say, hey, honey, do you mind uh, such and such? I literally gave the example. That's how I know I'm telling the truth. I gave it the same as (laughs) I had to adjust. I did the work, but he got to do the work. But then also, if the person decides they don't no longer want to do the work, Cause that's okay too. People, you people always have to understand people want to move on. Like everybody may not want to have a list of what I can and cannot say and do not say. Let's be clear. This is for two individuals that want to do the work together, that are committed to doing the work together. Yeah. In any relationship, you're going to have to work. That's just relationship is a part of work is a part of it, but this is a very unique, uh, a unique situation. And like you said, it's important that you know the trauma that you're getting into, but I think that across the board, period. So this yeah. was a wonderful yeah. conversation. Sheila Bruno, wife after prison. I know you can get her book on Amazon, but still, this is somebody uh, that you reach out to for sure. I know she touched on a lot of stuff uh, that that certainly touched me. Thank you for your transparency, uh, your tears. There's power in that. Uh, it shows vulnerability that a lot of people don't have. And thank you for having the vulnerability uh, to share, you know, your experience because you are absolutely yeah. right. A lot of women, I tell women all the time, everybody goes through something. When I hear women say, mm-hmm. girl, I wouldn't be putting up with that. Well, you ain't putting up with that, but you're putting up with something. <laughs> everybody putting up with something. So yeah. everybody got they something. And yeah. that is the hardest thing, particularly with black women, because we yeah. are told we are strong black women. No other race. You don't hear strong white woman, strong Hispanic woman, strong Asian woman. You only hear strong black woman. Right. And because of that, we think that we're supposed that to hold everything on our shoulder, every right. burden on right. our shoulder, every pain, every trauma, my trauma, mm-hmm. your trauma, the kids' trauma, the <laughs> world's trauma, politics trauma. And I had to adjust my life. And a lot of that was a part of, okay, listen, it was this called codependency. I'm always trying to fix something broken. And yeah, it, it serves me well me. in politics, but in the personal space, okay, hold on. There has to be some drama because it's not uh, some boundaries because there's not going to be anything yeah. left. So. Right. 
Uh, so I love the conversation. I look forward to you coming back. Thank you again so much, uh, Sheila. We can go on and on. I'm, I'm, I know my yeah, my producers yeah. texting me telling me to shut up, but <laughs> she she was texting me saying I forgot about the time. I'm so engrossed in the conversation because you really do have a, a a powerful story, and I hope more people hear more. And I'm and straight shot notations. It's always open to you to share. So I'm honored. I'm honored. Thank you for the opportunity. Just let me know when I will. and I'll be here. Okay. All right. Thank you guys for listening All again. Right. Straight Shot No Chaser provided to you this special series on behalf of the George Floyd Foundation. Peace. If you like what you heard on Straight Shot No Chaser, please subscribe and drop a five-star review and tell a friend. Straight Shot No Chaser is a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. I'm Teslin Figaro, and I'd like to thank our producer, the one and only Marcy Depina, our mix master, Dwayne Crawford, and our executive producer, Charlemagne the God. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T.